Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everyone, it's your host, Jody Katz. This podcast series, Where Brains Meet Beauty, is my side hustle. I do, in fact, have a day job. I am the founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. We are an omni-channel branding agency, hyper-focused on the beauty and wellness industries. Today's guest is Jessica Hansen. She's the new president of Amore Pacific U.S. Last week's episode featured Gay Timmons, a huge force in the natural beauty movement. I hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody. I'm so happy to say that we're joined today by Jessica Hansen. She's the new president and general manager of Amore Pacific U.S. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. You look so beautiful. Oh. <laughs> and this is the second time I've seen you in person, and you were like so beautiful then. Um, are you someone who gets dressed every day? Like, is this, you know, what your point of view? I try. I mean, on the weekends when I'm just, you know, with my kids or I have, you know, all of maybe 10 minutes, then it's a very quick, you know, splash of the face and a little bit of. Uh, of skincare and then a tinted moisturizer and then that's it. But I do try to at least uh, on on the weekdays. I really believe in um, living my craft. Um, I actually learned that at L'Oreal. It's called you know having having metier and that metier means that anytime I'm asked you know what do you do and I say work in beauty, I want to demonstrate that. And so um, so I'm asked a lot, you know, what are you wearing? What is that lipstick color? What is that nail color? Um, so it's it's more about sort of really becoming, you know, a, a real ambassador to the beauty industry. Well, you definitely are. And the first time I met you, and now your hair is just awesome. Oh. <laughs> and I noticed this because I'm not like, hair doesn't come naturally to me. You know, I'm like usually like a bun kind of girl or a pony. Um, but it's like so amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I've had, um, I've had, my hair colored for the past, let's see, since 2001. And uh, that's when I went blonde, which was totally crazy because my hair is about your shade. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually quite dark. And um, and I really try to take care of it because it's a lot of processing. I've learned a lot about the art of hair, hair styling, hair care. And um, I've actually only used uh, Paul Mitchell Focus Salons, which my husband thinks is ridiculous because I go and seek out the next salon everywhere I've been. Um, but yeah, it's kind of ritualistic in, in how, I, how I take care of it because I, I know that I'm doing some damage, but I try to keep it in the best condition. Well, it's awesome. Thank you. I, when I see um, friends with awesome hair, I think about how many YouTubes do I need to watch to, to attain <laughs> that? Um, because I do, I, I want it, you know, but I just don't make the time for it. I'm not there yet. Um, but I dream about it. Yeah, I think finding a good stylist is the is the first step. I, I really someone that you really trust, um, and then being patient. Um, one one stylist told me who was just styling my hair. I think it was for my sister's wedding, and I watched from the mirror in the back and watched his technique. And he said, "You have to train your hair to do what you want it to do." Yeah, I think I'm. I don't know what I want. <laughs> but I love I love what you have. So I want to tell everybody how we met because I think it's just like one of those um, really nice um, LinkedIn stories that, you know, if you asked me like a year ago, two years ago, do people respond on LinkedIn? Yeah. I'd be like, no one is ever going to respond. What a stranger. But um, I had read that you became the new president of Amore Pacific U.S. And I just reached out and sent like a congratulations LinkedIn. Like I never met you before, but I just, you know, wanted to celebrate with you. And um 
And then like a week later, I booked a meeting with the Laneige team. So I was going to be in your office. And I sent a note back saying I'm going to be in your office. And you came by and you said hello to me when I was there. And, you know, I'm a total stranger to you, but you like took the time to make that effort. And it really touched me. And I really appreciate it. Oh, well, you know, I actually have to give a lot of credit to my husband. So he is the ultimate networker. He was probably one of these people on LinkedIn who was using it probably way earlier than I ever did. And he really said to me, you know, as you go through your career, you need to take the time to meet people. You never know what opportunities could come about. And um, at a certain point, which is kind of the point that I'm at, um, you'll need different outlets than you've had before um, between mentors and people who have taken similar roles, people who have started um, new ideas. And you, you'll need to surround yourself with, with a different type of people. You won't be able to talk to your team about everything. Um, and so he's really encouraged me um, to respond when people reach out to me on LinkedIn. Some some are a little bit of strange and, um, you know, lots of people are trying to just get new business, right. things like that. But when I can see, and of course I look at people's backgrounds and who they're connected to, um, you sort of can very quickly make, make some really good instant connections. Yeah, LinkedIn surprised me and I started to... Um, like I guess a year ago, two years ago maybe at this point, I reached out to um, a woman that I didn't know very well, but I knew her name, and she ran very big agencies in New York. And um, I just reached out to her to say hi, and would she be willing to talk about, you know, I'm running an agency, and I'm sort of doing this in a vacuum, right? And uh, we met, and now she's an advisor, and she's the president of J. Walter Thompson. Like She's like super major, and she spends time with me, helping me guide my business. Um, and since you and I connected on LinkedIn, I started to actually like reply back to people who asked me like to connect or whatever they're asking sure. for. Um, and I just say thanks for reaching out because, like your husband said, I I don't know who any of these people are, and I have no idea why they're being presented to me in my life, but. I should take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And um, yeah, I've reached out to a couple of people and haven't had responses. Um, and it is a little bit disappointing. It's like, why are you on LinkedIn? You know. So now, now I sort of adopt this idea of if you're going to be on there and you're you're um, at all checking the feeds. I, I think that's where LinkedIn has actually made a huge improvement over the past at least 12 to 18 months is the relevance of the information that's being fed, the recommendations of people to connect to. It actually has improved a lot, and it's and it's enriched um, every day different stories that I read, even about different industries. It's really fascinating. I'm trying to really encourage my team. I have a leadership team of about 13 people. We have a, what's called a daily stand-up, and I bring in articles that I find on LinkedIn or other news articles that are you know, fed to me each, each day. Um, so that they get a little bit more of an outside view. I really want to encourage them not to be myopic right. and really enrich their lives as well. Yeah, um, so this was not a paid advertisement for LinkedIn. It just happens. <laughs> that, like, this is not a sponsor. No, episode. not at all. Um, no, it just works. We're advocates. Right, work it. If um, It will work for you. So um, tell us how you'll spend your day today. Oh, so today um, I have a couple of different things that I'm doing today. Right now we're in the process of year-end reviews, um, which I take very much to heart because I think it's if, if no other time in the year, it's the moment for employees to really understand how they're being perceived, how they perceive themselves, and then have that honest conversation about what's their future in, in the immediate sense or in the long term. 
So I'm uh, just about three months into the job, and so of course it's um, it's a little bit of a difficult exchange because people are still getting to know me, but it's been um, really helpful, I think, for them to see my my observations and then to really express my expectations and what I've already seen from some of them. So I have four reviews today, and then I'm also um, interviewing a company who also reached out to me over LinkedIn. Funny. Um, called Films for Industry. Um, oh, I know them. We yes. love them. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Um, their their work looks amazing. I wanted to work with them for a while, actually, um, but haven't had the opportunity for one reason or another. So I'm putting together a, um, a pretty comprehensive video of where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. We have a major conference in just over a month um, that we're doing in South Beach. Almost the entire organization is coming. And I really want to set a different tone and ask for a different mindset. So this video will really demonstrate, hopefully they can be proud of some of the things that they've accomplished. But for even those who are very new to the company, to really grasp what really is our objective and where is the vision of where we're going. Um, And to do that in about two minutes, set to music. I've done it a couple of times, but of course... Every time I do it, I now want to do it better. Right. So I have uh, I have a session with them today to go over what uh, what we want to accomplish. They'll be a great partner. They're incredible to work with. We worked yeah. with them several times. Oh, great! Yeah, well, totally. good. I'm glad we. I have another <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> so um, you're. New job means that you're moving from California to New York. Yes. And you're picking up the family to do that. Yes. Um, tell us about what that process is like now, yeah. um, going from one coast to the other. Yeah. So I like to say back to New York because, um, so in 1998, I made the decision right after uh, graduating from undergrad, um, at Cal Poly, go Mustangs, um, to move to the East Coast. And uh, again, that was in the encouragement of my um, husband now, boyfriend then, um, to really you know break free from the going right back to where we're from in California. California is such a big state. A lot of Californians think that that is the United States. Um, so we both were like-minded to say, let's experience something else. So we were, uh, we thought it'd be in New York for about two years. We were here for 10. And so I spent my 20s in New York. Um, I spent my 30s on the West Coast between San Francisco and Seattle. And now I just turned 40 in September. I'll spend my 40s in New York again. So I'm really excited. Um, so is my husband. We know how much the city has to offer. We also, I think, always had this little bit of a, of a wish that we could give our children the opportunity to become a little bit worldly, and that I do think New York is probably the best city in the U.S. to do that. Um, so it was nice to start a family in a little bit more of a calm West Coast uh, mentality. There's some benefits to that, definitely weather benefits. But I do think this will be a nice transition to open up possibilities for both my husband and I and for the kids to really feel a little bit different energy and a different, different mode. So they're going to start school in January in New York? Um, well, it all depends on when. So my daughter is in first grade. My son is in preschool. And so he's a little bit easier, more flexible. Um, it's a little bit more challenging in first grade. So whenever she gets in is when they will make the move. Oh, right. Yes. New York City schools. Yes. New York City Don't schools. Don't just show up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So getting an address is the first first goal. <laughs> and, um, and then making the transition. She's in an amazing school. It's a performing arts school in San Francisco. So, of course, we have 
very high expectations of the type of school. And my husband's actually a former educator, so he um, has already done all the research and has eliminated a lot of schools just because of what he's seen and read and their ratings and test scores. So he, he I'm very lucky he, he does all that homework. Yeah, how nice to have someone guide that process, yeah. right? Just yeah. split those jobs. So you're um, a September baby. Are you a Virgo? I am. What is like, your date? Like through and through, September 7th. Oh, I'm the 20th, so oh. I'm a Virgo too. Okay, <laughs> you're almost cusp, yes, but yes, if you're willing to like really dive into the to the Virgo pool, then um, you're brave. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've always been very Virgo, and I'm actually trying to. Um, unravel my perfectionist yes. tendencies because it's not working for me anymore. Yes. Um, they get in the way of like moving forward yeah. quite often. So I'm little by little unraveling that. So Yeah, I have to tell myself no one's going to notice that your black shoe is just slightly off from your deep navy dress like I, I really I have to say like no one's going to notice that small chip on your nail it's it, it can like become an obsession but I love that all Virgos I, I, I always say I've never met a Virgo I didn't like I, it's so crazy um, so if we could just have our own planet of perfectionism we might die happy but while we're here on earth like we need to really just accept that not everything is going to be as as so. <laughs> right. It gets more in my way of work than like personal. Like um, if I'm going to, let's say, like write an article for LinkedIn, I like, you know, I, I sit and I stew with it, right? As opposed to just like get your thoughts out, put them into the universe. It doesn't have to be like perfect. There is no perfect. You know, I'm really understanding in life now that that the word perfect shouldn't exist because mm -hmm. it's not real, right? There is no perfect. Um, it's a, it, it can't have any meaning, right? Um, but it does, and that's, you know, sort of um, the challenge I've had is just saying to myself, like, I, I did it, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment, and that should be good enough, mm -hmm. right? And just trying to move through things without um, being held back by this kind of perfectionist goal. Um, but I am very orderly, and I get really uncomfortable when, like, you know, we have, you know, we're growing, so we're, we have growing pains as a company, right? Sure. So there was a, a few weeks where it's like, who's doing what? Right, I like I can't stand that not knowing who's doing what, and it takes time to work it out. We have to mm -hmm. talk about it as a team. We have to experiment. I get so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I know, me too. I actually think I have strangely more tolerance at work than at home with um, with the perfectionism and with the having things a certain way and in a certain order. Um, I'm I'm just gentler with people about it, but I try not to be you know try not to be passive aggressive about it, mm -hmm. um, and and saying almost, do you need me to help you or how can I help you to achieve this, um, or just being very clear like, are we really is that is that really our best foot forward? Um, whereas in my personal life, I'll just do it and then be really frustrated by it, you know, straighten the pillows 10 right. times and still come home the next day and they're not straightened again. <laughs> so I, it's weird. I, I actually probably need to channel more of my persona from work being a patient, mm -hmm. but wanting that perfectionism rather than um, getting really frustrated by it. I, um, 
I've noticed that myself and my friends who are similar to me, we're hardest on ourselves, right? Oh, of course. I, I'm hoping that my team doesn't think I'm as hard on them as I am on myself. Um, and having kids is helping me unravel that, which mm -hmm. is like if my son had a bad day at school because of whatever, a test or something in a sport, I'm really kind to him, mm -hmm. right? Like you did your best. This is what was supposed to happen. You're supposed to learn how to lose or you're supposed to work, you know, learn a different way to do the math or whatever it is, right? I'm very kind to him. But when stuff like that happens to me, I like beat myself up, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I've, um, I'm, I'm tr really tr working hard. This is like kind of, I'm, I'm a work in progress, yes. you know what I like to say. Um, and I'm working hard to just make every day a little easier for myself mm -hmm. by taking some of the pressure off. One of the things that I did, um, because I think that it is about a little bit giving yourself some credit instead of criticizing. Mm -hmm. um, there's this book um, that you write a happiness list yep. every week for 52 weeks. So it's a year-long project. Um, and each week, it it's a different type of happy, you know list the things that make you most proud, list the things that you're naturally good at. And then at the end of the list, then it asks you to reflect on them. Um, list the processes or, or routines in your life. And then it says, you know, cross things out that frustrate you, circle the things that make you happy. So I found, I've only been doing it for about, maybe about the past seven weeks. I kept seeing the book in different shops I was going to. And I said, okay, this is following me and I need to get it. And that's actually helped a lot to say, hey, you're not ever going to be perfect. Nobody is. But here's the things that you can really look back on. In the moment, it really does make you happy. In the moment, like I'm smiling the whole time that I'm making this list because I know I'm doing something good for my own well-being. And then when you actually revisit them, you have this like journal of things that you do need to remind yourself of. Maybe not every day, but at least once a week. Yeah, it sounds almost like a meditative opportunity yeah. to you, right? To Which I'm not... I'm not, I'm not, that's usually not like my first, my first way of coping. <laughs> so it's new. Right. But what a great thing to be doing as you're entering a, a, a new, a new again city, a new job, new people, mm -hmm. new pressures. So I do want to talk about your career because I'm sure. really fascinated by it, but I would like to start somewhere else um, with something that you said to me when we first spoke, which really resonated. Um, you told me I worked so hard to be a mom. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us what that means to you? Sure. So I, I grew up not being, even in you know my teens, I did do some babysitting. I never said I have to be a mom. It was never something, and in, in especially as you know, going into adolescence and early adulthood, I was never baby crazy. I actually had no real interest in like even holding babies. Uh, someone did tell me that when you turn 30, something else sort of clicks. I, I think that, yes, that happened a little bit. So right before I turned 30, my husband and I were both graduating from business school, and we were sort of like deciding what the next chapter was. What probably made me want to be a mother more than anything was being a family with him. He's so good with kids. So he was he was uh, a kindergarten and first grade teacher. He has his master's in education. Like he's just kind of naturally good with kids. He'll like talk to kids on planes, and I'm like, you know, parents might think you're a little strange. And, and he's this big football ex football player guy. I'm like, yeah. Um, so, but seeing him with kids made me want to experience that with him, and I thought it would be easy. Everybody in my family. I mean, I'm one of 23 grandchildren, <gasps> just on my mother's side. Oh, my God. Okay. Everybody has kids. Everybody. Whether it's, and, and had them probably even 
somewhat earlier than maybe some of them should have. And so, you know, you just naturally think, um, when I'm ready, uh, it will just happen because that's what you grow up with. And it didn't. Um, so we spent two years um, battling infertility, uh, unexplained infertility. So we had every test possible. It wasn't us, you know, it wasn't us. It's just the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of was. It was the universe actually telling us that we needed to become parents in a different way. That took a little while. It wasn't actually that, it wasn't a, a grief process actually in the moment. It was sort of like, okay, we've got to find another way. We're, we're both, he and I are problem solvers by nature. One day he says to me, um, I think we need to look into adoption. And I said, oh, you know, we only know it from the media, international adoption or adoption stories that go really wrong. And, um, and so we looked at international adoption and saw it was a three-year, at least three-year process where you never have a newborn uh, join your home. It is a child, you know, at least, youngest is probably about eight months just because of the legalities and process and the system. And then we looked at domestic adoption and that's where the, the, the world kind of like opened up to a chapter that we never really knew. We never really knew it existed. And probably most of, um, of, uh, you know, white collar homes, like don't think about the challenges that are actually here in our country of, um, of people who either aren't ready to be uh, parents or have children already. And that next child puts them into poverty. And so we educated ourselves over the next six weeks, went to different classes to hear from Uh, adoptive parents, birth parents who placed their children, a pediatrician who both was an adoptive uh, parent and um, has really helped with healthcare because you don't, you'll never know everything about your child's lineage and, you know, anything that, that could be happening to them either um, mentally, developmentally, or um, health-wise. And so we learned from a different perspective every week. And by the end of the six weeks, we were ready to pursue this this idea of domestic adoption. And so from start to finish, our daughter, um, it was only about a little bit less than a year, which is actually pretty fast. But it was a little daunting. You had to open up your your world and your life. It became an open book. I mean, the agency knew everything about us from our health history to our financials. Um, they do what's called a home study. So they come in and they ask you questions and then they like even check your temperature of your water heater. So the, to become a parent, not through a biological way, I'm just to start off with just more you know, got the seal of approval. I'm like, wow, nobody who actually like uh, conceives has to go through this. Um, so th- there, you do go through moments of a little bit of like, this isn't fair, but you know why this is the process. Um, and then when we got the call, the, the we got a couple of calls that I kind of knew weren't going to work out. You sort of have this sixth sense about it. Um, but we got a call. It was actually right around Labor Day, which is right near my birthday, um, from a woman in Indianapolis. She um, had, or near Indianapolis, she already had a child. She found out right around her, her first daughter turning one that she was pregnant again. And she said, listen, um, I, I can barely do it with one. And I can't do it with two. And, and my entire family offered and said they would help with my first. And I've had to drop out of junior college and not, not put all of my goals on the back burner. And although I love my daughter, I can't do that again. 
and I don't want to have an abortion. I want to place this child for adoption. <laughs> so we were just like, oh, my God. And we sort of texted with her for the next three weeks and started to build a relationship. That's sort of what you do when you're, you know, I was 30, turning 33 at the time, and she's, you know, all of 19. <laughs> and, um, and so we got to know her. We then started talking about visiting her and... Um, and then I think she went a little bit silent because she had to really think about whether she wanted to do this. Meeting us in person is, is that's a big step. Um, but then after a little while decided, um, it was still what she wanted to do. And so we met her on Halloween and that was 2010. I ran the New York City Marathon, um, a week later. And then my daughter was born in January and I was there. We were there for her birth. I helped deliver oh, her. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, she was born on President Kennedy's uh, 50th inauguration, so we named her Kennedy. Um, it was one of our three names um, that uh, her birth mother and my husband and I had discussed, but then it was like a sign. She was born about five days early, and on his inauguration, it was all over the news for the 12 hours that she was in labor. And so, yeah, so, so that journey was all around positive. What happened next um, is we wanted another because this was so great. We had this now extended family. She was this amazing baby. I mean, slept when we needed to, needed to, ate when she needed to. She traveled coast to coast with me at least a dozen times. Um, so she was a dream child. She still is. Um, and we said, let's do it again. So about 11 months. And you don't even try the infertility path this way uh, again? Or not yet. Uh -huh. So I'll, I'll touch on that. I did go back for a second opinion. But I, um, so 11 months, we said, let's do it again. Actually, to go through adoption again, you have to start all over again. You don't get like a free pass. <laughs> you don't get the amount, amount of, because now your family's changed. Right. So you start all over. We, at least you know now, so it's a little quicker. Um, and we started getting contacts right away. And we, we were prepared for that because the agency told us what will happen is they will look at you as a family unit and they will of course look at this beautiful child and now they can envision you as parents right. where before it's sort of like oh who are these people why can't they have their own? there's so many questions and so we started getting contacted right away. Um, we uh, and it was contact after contact that were all quite possi possible. Um, we entered into an, another relationship with a birth couple, and it was their first. It was a very different situation, and then we're matched for five months. It was actually pretty early in in the pregnancy. Um, there were lots of red flags, and we sort of knew that it wasn't going to work out. But we, you have to keep going right. for the chance that it does. Um, there were a lot of complications with the birth, and then after five days in the hospital, uh, on the day that I left, what was there, um, back and forth, uh, same process, because now we had gone through it, we had named this child, um, and we had this close relationship with the couple, but I kind of knew it wasn't going to work out. And that's exactly what happened. And on the on the fifth day, the day that they were um, that they were being released, we got the call that they just couldn't go through with it. Mm -hmm. So it was tough because, you know, we named this child, we held this child, we were in, you know, we were we were at the hospital with our daughter who's two and a half, mm -hmm. who has a I'm a big sister sticker on it, and everyone's calling her the big sister, even the birth parents. Oh my goodness. So that's where real grief happens. I just kind of got chills. Um, because it's hard to talk about, but it was a, it, you have to believe that there's a reason for everything and that your journey is not done. 
But it took us a while. It took us a while. We had brought everybody along on our journey. Right. So this is like sobbing. Is that like the level of? Like, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, this is it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, we luckily had a really great nanny who took our daughter and said, "You guys just be with each other." Mm-hmm. We sent a note to all of our friends and family and said, "This has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, don't grieve for us. Don't don't please don't." reach out and, and especially saying anything negative about the birth family. Right, you know, that's right. just like it's it's human nature. And so we um, we said we just need to be alone and we uh, need to figure out how to press on and how to get, get to our next our next journey. What I had actually done, I had actually left my job uh, a month before. Uh, I was working for Sephora. I had been there for five years and I because I kind of knew that this might happen, I had said to my boss, I couldn't imagine walking in. I had wanted to change anyway. I couldn't imagine walking in after this heartbreak and just coming back to my same job. Right. And so I'm leaving to pursue Because you weren't other the things. same anymore. I wasn't the same anymore. It, 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 it's, it really, it's profound. Um, she understood, but of course. you had this instinct mom. about this? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You do. You When you go through, when you go through and you meet, and you hear from others, uh, that's a big part that I forgot actually was you make connections with other families. You learn, you go to support groups. Mm -hmm. This is why adoption versus infertility is such, or I should say fertility is um, such a different path because in infertility, when you're getting treatments, you aren't connecting with people. There's actually very little support function. In fact, you're sitting in the waiting room, like waiting for your tests or your, you know, treatments or whatever. And nobody's even making mm-hmm. eye contact. With adoption, agencies are bringing people together. We, we still go to a play date every month of adoptive families in San Francisco. You form this network because you know that you, you have to draw from one another, either their strengths, their stories, their energies. And then once you're a family, at some point your kids are going to have questions. Right. And you better have somebody in either your friends or family or your circle to be able to say, this is this is okay. It, families are made different ways, and then at least you can relate it to children. As there's other families that are like ours too. So anyway, um, the the job that I decided to take was back with L'Oreal. I had rejoined L'Oreal, but this time with a, a different division, and working on a business that was located in Seattle. So we moved from San Francisco to Seattle. So um, after the loss, of, yes, yes. So I had that was the role that I right. decided to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what in your headspace at that moment, like with the devastation of like you know you did have a loss, you yeah, know, a legitimate loss. Of course. Um, did you just want something new? Like yeah. you're just desperate for something new and fresh? No, I knew that I would. Uh, I probably knew that even even at, say it had all worked out. Even after maternity leave, I would have want some, wanted something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, Sephora is an amazing, amazing company. Um, but I I had been uh, working with um, the same teams. I managed sixty brands in the fragrance um, the fragrance division, and I I just needed change. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I knew I wanted a different journey. Learning something new is always where I draw a lot of energy. Working with different people, different teams, building culture. Those are all things where I can really put my whole self in. Um, so I started to do that, and, and that's exactly what this, uh, this group needed. Um, it was after the acquisition of um, Clarisonic by L'Oreal. Um, but the decision to keep the business on the West Coast, which was a first for L'Oreal. Usually they acquire a brand. It within a year moves to New York. This was a decision to keep it in Seattle. 
Um, and so I moved up to Seattle. And let's see, about, I guess it was about 11 months later, uh, not even, not even, about eight months after we moved, we were contacted by a birth uh, couple who wanted to specifically place in Seattle. And there were only three families with the agency in Seattle. So we're like, our odds are really good. <laughs> and, um, and so we met them, uh, they met Kennedy. And now at this point, now she's three and a half. So this is, you know, full year later. And, um, and it was an immediate connection. It, it was very different. Their situation was different. They had three other children from, uh, with, with their past partners, and they weren't parenting those children. So they kind of knew their lifestyle was not about, it was about them and not necessarily about raising children. So they knew that they didn't really want this, this child to sort of go on this sort of journey through the country with them. They very much, they traveled around and, you know, sort of lived very free, <laughs> a lifestyle I don't really know. Um, and uh, so I think that the, the challenge was, um, uh, they were going to stay in Seattle for a certain amount of time, but we weren't sure how long. And so it was a little bit this relationship of, um, of a little bit of spontaneity and trying to be flexible while we had this life that we're trying to manage with our daughter and our jobs and everything. Um, I had decided to stop traveling. He was due on um, December 11th. And I was planning to stop traveling on uh, the 15th of November. That was my plan. I have a month no more travel, this is happening. We told very few people, our neighbors and my boss, that was it. Um, we didn't even tell our families because of the heartache that we took everybody through a year prior. Um, so on, um, on November 8th, I get a call from my husband. He never calls, he always texts. And he said, there's no easy way to say this. I was traveling still, because this was only November 8th. I was, not, I was gonna stop traveling on November 15th. And he said he's born. He was born five minutes ago. It was really fast. And I'm sitting on the hospital floor because there's no room. He, she gave birth and triage, but I'm holding him. He has to go to NICU because he's five weeks early. And they gave me the wristband because only one parent can go and they gave it to me. So this is all happening and you need to get home and you need to call the lawyer and are you okay? And I'm like, yep. I'm good. I'm at QVC. We have a TSV on. I'm with my entire team in the green room. And I'm like, okay. And amazingly, I didn't break down. <laughs> I, this is like my moment of strength. I have a phone in one hand, an iPad in another. I'm rearranging my travel. I'm calling the lawyer. I, I'm actually a pretty good multitasker. <laughs> and I can't believe that in nine hours, I was back in Seattle holding my baby in NICU. I'm like, honestly, like goosebumps and welling up with tears <laughs> because like how beautiful like that the, the parents knew in that moment yeah. that your husband is gonna be the dad yeah. and they gave him the, the hospital bracelet. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's when you know. I mean, that that's why like the, the red flags that we saw with the previous one and and you know knowing that this was the 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 right one the what was meant to be it's when you just know so um he was tiny he was just under five pounds but he was pretty they actually called him big boy on the floor of 42 babies in NICU in uh, Seattle at University of Washington um and uh he he only had a little bit of jaundice uh, about 24 hours later but he was great the one uh, really interesting thing you learn 
along the journey, um, because he was considered a preemie and a NICU, we were actually able to buy breast milk. This is one thing we weren't able mm. to do with our child. We know how good that is for building immunity. And so we were able to buy it. It was $20 an ounce. We're wow. like, this meal is more expensive than most meals that we eat in these cities that we live in. Um, but it was worth it. And so we were able to give that to him for the first month to really build his strength and his immunity. Um, and his name is Carson. We actually named him after their last name is Carson. So they weren't as involved. They, they couldn't pick a name. They said, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, they were very sort of emotionally detached from from um, this journey. And so we had a couple of different names. And then we said, what if we named him Carson after your last name? And they said, oh, my God, that would be such an honor. And so that is that's his name. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this. I mean, um, I'm um, I'm. I'm really grateful that you're willing to be so revealing. Um, I went through infertility treatment. Mm -hmm. um, I was in that room, you know, with other women. Nobody's look, nobody's making eye contact. Mm -hmm. We're all like desperately sad to be in that room, mm -hmm. getting our blood tested. You yeah. know, it was like every day, every other week, whatever it was, it was awful. Um, I mean, I have a ten-year-old and a seven-year-old now, thankfully, from the process, but. Um, in an instant, I can go back there, mm -hmm. you know, to the um, desperation yeah, and the loneliness yeah, and the fear that I wasn't going to be a mom, yeah. um, as I'm doing in this moment, <laughs> because um, the, I had no control over it, mm -hmm. right? I can control other things, right? I can... Oh, everything. Right? And as Virgos, it's the worst. It's like, talk about wanting order, wanting, wanting to decide your destiny, and now... Uh, saying, you don't get to choose. That was actually, I think, what was so empowering about adoption is we actually got to choose. Right. The executive director of the agency who we went with said to a room of all of us who were all feeling this pain, I can give you a 100% chance you'll have a child. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you where this child will be born. I can't even tell you exactly what ethnicity it will be, but I will guarantee you that if you're willing to change your mindset, you will be a parent. We were like, sold. <laughs> I am not going to argue with 100% chance. Right, right. But that was, that was I, I, again, and I give my husband a lot of credit, I, I wasn't coming up with creative ideas on how to do this differently. Mm -hmm. It took him saying, let's really, you know, challenge ourselves. That's what we, we, we do together. And, uh, and it was, it was great. And it's been, it's been a an amazing journey. I think we've grown as people. Yeah. I appreciate things in such a different way. Um, I still am a bad mom sometimes. <laughs> um, they are uh, adorable children, but they are not perfect either. Um, but I do think it's been, uh, it allows you to be a little bit more uh, spiritual, thankful, reflective. And I don't know if I would be the same person if I had ever conceived. Right. I, um, I think a lot, off, I think often about um, my mindset and my business because of um, the way I feel about being a mom. Mm -hmm. And I think because it was hard um, and I didn't know if it was going to happen, it wasn't, you know, I did have friends who like literally like, you know, on their wedding night got pregnant. Yeah, of course. And this is like so foreign to me. Yeah. Um, so um, I work really hard at kind of like seat building myself into my chair and saying that um, 
I chose this path in my work because I want the flexibility to go to the school or do this mm -hmm. or do that or whatever it is with the kids. Um, and that if I let myself go on this path that's very seductive, like growing the business is incredibly seductive or being, you know, getting anywhere in business is incredibly seductive, I'm going to lose that. Mm. Um, I'm going to give that up. So it's like, it's a constant like navigation point for me. Um, you know, when I think about when they are being like, you know, sometimes my son's a jerk, you know, he's like 10. Um, That's the word my husband's using for our son, who's only three, who it's amazing how a three-year-old can be a jerk. They can be. Um, you know, even in those moments where I'm really struggling, like I, I do go back to that gratitude mm -hmm. of like, this is where I want to be. Um, and, you know, sometimes I choose the work. Sometimes I choose to be there. Whatever it is, it's my choice that I'm making. Um, but I'm very cognizant of it. Um, is there anything that you think that's happening in your life, the way you handle work or, like, when you shut your phone off at night or whatever yeah. it is, that's because you think directly related to how challenging it was to get here? Yeah. I mean, I do think that's where, you know, I tell myself constantly. I used to be so proactive. I used to be, you know, ahead of every deadline. And so I, I give myself uh, some reprieve and say it will all get done it will all get done and trusting in others as well that's a you know especially with the with the birth parent relationship I had to trust even if it wasn't going to work out I had to trust that they were going to do the right thing um, for for them and for the child and um, so there is this I, I talk a lot about trust actually with my teens I, I have them reading this book called the speed of trust mm -hmm. because uh, for for them to grow as leaders for them to establish the relationships with each other and for them to be um, a real influential figure to their teams, they have to put trust in others before anybody puts trust in you. So I think that, that um, that's how, you know, these lessons, um, although, although they're not textbook, they're real life, they really can continue on and they can be real building blocks for you. Um, you know, I think that we could probably have a part two podcast because there's so much to talk about. But I, um, for our last topic, I'd like to talk about something that just made me so excited, shifting gears totally, sure. um, in talking with you, is that um, you're an expert in production uh -huh. um, from your very first, first yeah, job, right? first job at the Wall manager. Street Journal, yes. Um, and um, I don't get to meet a lot of people in the client space who are like total pros around print production, packaging production, video, photo production, like everyone knows a little bit. Sure. Um, but to be able to talk with someone mm -hmm. who has a real true deep understanding is asking the same questions and has the same thoughts about, you know, process, stock, whatever. Exactly. Um, it is such a thrill. Um, there's not a lot of people who take the time, I think, you know, to go on press of the project sure. or to, oh, you know, visit a manufacturer <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. I think people are too pressed for time. They're too anxious about the workload. Um, how is that level of expertise that you developed yeah. as a production manager years yeah. ago, how does it impact the, the way that you ask your team to learn? Yeah, oh, that's such a great question. And I don't get to reflect on that very first job very often, um, but I did learn a lot. Um, I think working with mostly creative people. Okay, so now, up until now, my roles have been very marketing-focused, sales-focused, and consumer focused. So what the what the what the consumer sees in a brand is so different. 
And um, whether it's online or in, in real life, the quality and what you're trying to convey will come across in different ways. So whether it's developing a holiday program that feels really special, but doesn't feel so branded. Um, you know, even I was just buying holiday gifts for our partners that we work with. And I said, I want, I want to give them something that they will look at every day and think about us, but it doesn't have to say our brand name mm-hmm. all over mm-hmm. it. Because I've been in their shoes and I've been the recipient of like a beautiful necklace that had a C on it for a brand I won't name. <laughs> um, and I so wanted to wear the necklace. I wish I had it now because now my son's name is Carson. So at least I could say that. But then I'm like, oh, I'm going to be wearing their brand logo. Like, are you serious? Um, but it was a beautiful necklace. So um, so th- that th- paying attention to quality really relating it to how we will be perceived, what, is it, what message does it send, is how I encourage them. Um, I've also, you know, learned by mistake of not having someone on press and then not getting what we want. And what I try to explain to the teams are, no matter what vendor we use, that however long they've been working with us, however well you think they know our brand, our product, our objective, they'll never, they're not with us every day. So if you're not there to coach them, they're an extension of our team, then you have to be accepting of the result. Um, And being on press is so much fun. I'm like, if you don't enjoy doing it as a creative director or marketing, um, in brand marketing, then, you know, you might need to reconsider what what role you have in the company. But I think it's it's all about really creating something with purpose um, and being able to communicate that and understand or, you know, say, uh, you know, uh, this this film that I'm going to be producing, this video, I said, we're not going to shoot anything new because we have so many assets. We have so many things to show, but we need great CGI. And, you know, of course, like the entire marketing team, they're like, I hope she's going to say what that means. I'm like, it needs to have this graphic effect. It needs to convey this message in two minutes. Um, And so meeting with companies where you actually speak their language, I think they really appreciate it. And then you get much better work. Absolutely. Like 100% when we're working with... Um, client partners who even if they don't know they show an interest and a curiosity mm-hmm. the work is so much better it probably ends up being cheaper to produce <laughs> totally it gets done faster um, it's really challenging to work with a client partner who's not invested in that mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it's technical mm-hmm. right like absolutely so um, we found over time and we're like starting to kind of like stick up for ourselves a little bit more like the right client partners for us are people who really want to be partners yeah. right really collaborate you don't have to know everything we know but you have to be open to hearing our point of view yeah. um, and then come on press or come to the manufacturer or, you know come to those meetings um, because um, there's just too many moving parts in these projects to say like you just do it. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, over involvement is the other is the other side. So I have uh, I have something that I'll share with you that you can take with you. Um, I try I've tried to teach this now, so I think this will be my third team. So it's the principle of good, fast, and cheap. You can only ever have two. <laughs> if you apply it to anything, apply it to clothing, apply it to a restaurant, apply it to a hotel. You can have good and fast, it won't be cheap. Uh (laughs) You can have good and cheap, it won't be fast. You can have cheap and fast, 
and it won't be good. And so when I've worked, especially with luxury brands or really wanting, if you want something to be really good, figure out what you're going to sacrifice. It's going to either take some time or you're going to pay the price. It applies to everything. I love it if, so much. If anything <laughs> ever seems to have all three, it's a scam. Something's wrong. It's right. a scam. Okay, so can we borrow this? <laughs> I you absolutely. I love spreading it. I I I adapted it from something that I read. I'm, it's awful of me that I'm not giving credit to however I came up with it. But I've I've said it to so many people. Some people are just like, oh my god, she's so crazy. Um, and then those who really sort of adopt it, and I, there are many, especially my marketing teams. I will like keep saying it because I'm like, you need to really set your expectations yes. in this mind frame. Um, and so, no, I want people to remember it because I'm telling you I have applied it to everything. Even I've applied it to my own personal life with adoption. It's like, it's the same right. thing. I have, re I got a really good outcome. It wasn't necessarily fast or cheap. Right. right. Sometimes you only get one. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it because it addresses um, misguided expectations, mm -hmm. right? Or unaligned expectations. And we're going to borrow it. Great. And we will give credit to you yeah. in the meetings that we talk about it with. But I think it's genius. So thank you for that wisdom. Um, and thank you so much for your honesty and how revealing and open you've been with us. I know a lot of our listeners are really going to relate to your story. I think we're going to get a lot of fan mail. Good. No, that's great. Um, one of my future aspirations, I started a book um, right after, it was probably about a year after my daughter was born. I haven't finished it. I probably, I probably need someone to help me actually really write it and get it published. Maybe it turns into a blog. I don't know. I don't have the time or the bandwidth right now to do it. But at some point in my future, I really want to um, personify the story of adoption. It can be through a little bit of a fiction based on real events. Um, but I think that there's, there's so many myths of parenthood, so many myths of fertility and adoption and all of these things that I want to demystify. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my hope. That's my hope for my personal life that I actually find the time to do that one day. So maybe someone out there hears this and wants a project. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a friend for you, so I'll tell you off. Great. <laughs> so thank you so much, thank Jessica. You. This has been incredible. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, please follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.